Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Go ahead and turn with me today to Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. <clears throat> As you're turning there, I got a couple really big announcements just to share with you. Uh, starting next Sunday, January 29th, we are officially moving to five services. Come on, somebody. If you're excited about that, it's a good thing. So. Uh, we're basically scrapping all of the existing services right now. And the new schedule will be as follows. 8 a.m., 9.30, 11 a.m., 12.30, and 6 p.m. So if you show up at 10 next week, I warned you, all right? You'll be up in the middle of worship, all right? So make sure that you choose either the 9.30 or the 11 a.m. service. We're doing this to make room for more people. We have routinely been at an overflowing capacity all morning service, all three morning services have been overflow, even 8.30 in, uh, spilling into overflow. How many of you are thankful? God is moving, that's a good thing, right? It's, it's a good problem. If you consider yourself a part of the Vision Church family, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider choosing the 8 a.m., 12.30, or 6 p.m. service, because those are the services we expect to have more margin to make room for more people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, also, uh, as you leave today, we're doing a connect group mixer immediately following the service. Connect groups are small gatherings of 10 to 15 people who gather to connect with God and each other relationally throughout the week. We're launching 25 connect groups all throughout the greater Charlotte area. And some of our connect group leaders that, that I've heard about, they are amazing. It's gonna be an incredible time to get connected. So I wanna encourage you as you leave today, make sure to stop by, say hey to somebody and find your fit. Let's do church more than just on Sunday. This is a lifestyle, this is who we are. Let's get plugged into the community and grow spiritually. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, we're continuing our series, Spirit and Truth. We got two more weeks this week and next, and then in February, we're gonna begin a relationship series. Uh, so that's, you don't wanna miss that one for sure. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. <clears throat> Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you so much. We are grateful for your word. We believe that the Bible is God-inspired, God-breathed for correction, rebuke, and the edification of the saints. I pray that this morning that you would touch every heart, every life, every person with your word. May I decrease that you increase and be hidden behind the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 
So if you haven't picked up on this yet, today's sermon is about money. And there's been no topic in the history of Christianity that has been more poorly preached and represented than that of money. And when the preacher starts talking about money, everybody gets nervous and looks for the exit. Take a deep breath. You're going to be all right today. All right. But we are going to talk through this incredible text. Jesus talked an awful lot about money. He really did. And uh, the reason I include this text in our worship series is because worship is more than just the songs we sing. Worship is more than just lifting our hands and shouting and giving praise to God. In fact, worship is also our sacrificial giving. When we give of our time and we give of our treasure, that is designed by God to be an act of worship. So worship is far more than just reading lyrics off of a screen. It's a way of living. And also giving is a vital part of how we worship. The first thing that I want to show you today is Jesus was watching the offering. Look at your neighbor, help me preach, say, Jesus is watching. Now, if we're being honest, it's a little bit rude of Jesus to be watching the offering, all right? But in Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus sat across from the offering receptacle and he watched people as they brought their offering to the temple that day. I want you to know that not only did Jesus watch the offering 2,000 years ago, but he is still watching the offering right now. He did not watch the offering in an attempt to pressure or manipulate people to give more because God Almighty needs nothing that we can bring him. How many of you know God does not need our money? If you stop giving today, the kingdom will still advance tomorrow because the people are not the source. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He was not there to pressure or manipulate the people or condemn them. God is in need of nothing. Psalm chapter 50 verse 9 says this, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Now, I love that. The Lord is saying, you can bring me your offerings if you want to in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But he's literally telling the people, I don't need your offering. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. The whole earth is mine and everything in it. It's important that we begin this message with this premise that God does not need our finite offerings. He doesn't. In fact, the, the scripture tells us in Revelation, he's going to pave heaven's streets with gold. He doesn't need anything that we can offer him. He created every mineral deposit, every gold, silver, lithium deposit on earth. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is in need of nothing. Still, though, he watches the offering, not because he needs our money, not because he even wants our money, but he watches the offering today because God wants our heart. Hear me today. God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. 
That's the reason Jesus watched the offering because our heart is connected to our treasure. It certainly is. Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 19, listen to this. Do not lay up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thief does not break in to steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Scripture tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Jesus watches the offering because he wants our heart. He wants to know who we really are and do we really love him and do we really value him above all things. The truth is, if you look at your bank statement and you look at your Google calendar to see how you spend your time, those two things will tell us a lot about you. If you look at my bank statement, it's gonna say Chick-fil-A over and over again. And I'm getting convicted even as I preach this sermon, all right, because that's where my heart is clearly. Supposed to be a little funny, it's okay. Tough crowd, that's all right. But in all, in all actuality, here's what the scripture is really saying. Our talk is cheap. Don't deceive yourself by empty lip service saying, I love God, I love God, he's first in my life. Because although that might be nice for you to say it, your actions will demonstrate if that's really true. In the Gospel of Matthew, he warns that on the day of judgment, many will call me Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You honored me with your lips, but your heart was far from me. You praised me with your mouth, but you lived a life that was self-centered, self-glorifying, filled with lust, pride, and greed. It's easy to sit in this room today and say, God is number one. God is the most important thing in my life, but let's look closer. Let's look at your treasure and let's look at your time. And what do those two things say about God's role in your life? The truth is your treasure and your time are either gonna say that Jesus is the center of your life or he's an afterthought. And I know you're in for another sugar-coated feel-good Sunday sermon here at Vision Church. I was sarcastic. May we look at our treasure in our time and what is it saying about who God is to us? Our time and our treasure should demonstrate his lordship in our life. The thing is, our hearts are connected to our time. Our hearts are connected to our treasure and we invest in the things that are truly most important in our lives. I'm gonna tell, you, tell it to you like this. People have time and money for everything they really want to do and excuses for everything else. I'm preaching to you now. So you can go to Disney and you can, you never miss a vacation and you got an iWatch, an iPhone, you got everything, I everything, but you can't pay your rent on time. It's getting quiet and I'm offending everybody today. It's amazing how we always have money and we always have time for the things we really, really want, but the things that are not important get our excuses. I wanna ask you today, is God first in your life? Is he really? Is he the centerpiece? Is he the center of your life? If so, your money and your time will indicate that he is. I'm gonna talk to you about tithing for a second. And everybody in church just got scared. Look at your neighbor and say, relax. <laughs> Again, like the church has truly 
misrepresented and preached these things with abuse and pressure to manipulate people to give. But I want to tell you, that is not how Jesus taught giving at all. In fact, scripture teaches us that giving is an act of worship. Now, let me say this really quickly, and I'm probably going to offend half the room, but you're welcome. And that's never stopped me anyway. Um, I do not believe, nor do we at Vision Church believe that tithing is a requirement on God's people in the New Testament. That at least deserved one amen. Somebody should, a, you know, somebody should amen that. Uh, I'll tell you a story really quickly. Um, every month we do something called Decision Lunch, and it's for the people who gave their life to Christ the month before. We spend time breaking bread, getting to know them, hear their testimony. And I'll never forget one gentleman just a few months ago went through decision lunch and he said, this is the best church I've ever been to in my life. And I said, well, why? He goes, cause you never take an offering. This is my kind of church. <laughs> so, okay, we do take an offering, okay? It can be online at visionchurch.com. You can text an email up to 84321 as I shamelessly give an offering plug. Um, but I thought it was humorous that he was like, this church doesn't, you know, and if you, if you haven't noticed, we don't badger you about money. In fact, you probably haven't noticed, but in the last three weeks, we haven't even taken an offering. You know why? Because God is our provider and he is faithful and he will supply his every need. This is his church, not mine. But let's talk about tithing for a minute because I want you to understand that we are not living in the ancient theocracy of Israel where the tithe funded not only their government, but their temple. We are not in ancient Israel. We are in a new covenant. We are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. And now we do not give out of an obligation to an Old Testament law or requirement. But I will tell you this, if you look at the New Testament, you will see that although they were not under the tithe to give the first 10% of their income, they were exceedingly generous. In the New Testament, they were selling their possessions and giving it over to the poor and giving it to the church. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, 10% would really be the baseline of generosity. But here's the point. We should not give begrudgingly. We should not give out of an obligation. Well, it's Sunday and I'm supposed to give. No, listen, if your attitude is re reluctant or it's an obligation or a burden to give, then just please keep it. Because the Lord wants a cheerful giver who is motivated to love him. And that's the reason that we give. Imagine if you came in here and you said, well, I'm going to worship you because I have to. It's Sunday. You're worthy. Like what? If that's going to be your attitude, just keep it. Keep it to your own self. Worship is not something that we should be, or giving and worship are not things that we should be obligated or burdened or under the law required to do. No, now he has freely saved us. He has freely redeemed us. And now we should freely give back to the one who has given us everything. My wife and I, we do tithe. We do give the first 10%. Every Friday, we put it on auto draft and no, that's not less spiritual. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you if I don't do it that way, I'll forget and I'll get to Chick-fil-A first. <laughs> it's no less spiritual, but when we set that up, we told, we prayed we, together. We said, Lord, we're giving you our first. We're giving you our best. And before we spend any other money, any other way in this world, we're gonna first give to you. 
All right. And that's, listen, God is not, again, I already told you, God's not after your money. He's after your heart. But where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if you're afraid to give, you don't want to give, that shows that there is an issue in your heart. By the way, are y'all cold in here? Can we turn that up just a little bit? I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm up here. I'm cold. If I'm cold and I'm in all these jackets, I know you're cold. The next thing I want to show you is God cares more about our motive than the amount we give. God cares more about our motive than the amount we give. Jesus was not impressed by the scribes and the religious elite who gave in the temple that day. Many historians believe that the way that they would bring their tithe to the temple is they would do so in a bag and they would have coins and it would make a rattling sound. And so people would try to outdo one another and show how generous and how holy they were by carrying large sums of coin to drop it in the temple offering and it would make a large sound. But I want you to know that as Jesus watched the offering, none of that moved him that day. Now, I'm sure Peter and John, the disciples were probably like, man, that was, hey, he gave a lot, Jesus. Did you see that? But Jesus was not impressed by the amount in which they gave. He was moved by the widow who gave two mites. Her sacrificial offering caught the attention of God Almighty. It's not about the amount that we give. It's the manner and the motive in which we give it. That's what truly captures the attention of God in heaven. May our motive never be to be seen by people or to impress others. If that's your motive, please keep it to yourself. Matthew chapter six, verse one says this, watch out, don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and in the streets to call attention to their own acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, do not let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Scripture is challenging the motive of our heart that we should not give reluctantly, we should not give out of obligation, and we certainly should not give to impress other people. We must give discreetly, with humility, as an act of worship to the Lord. If people applaud you for how much you spend your time serving God, if people applaud you for how generous you are to the poor or to the church, that's the only reward you're ever gonna get. And I don't know if you caught this, but heaven is watching the offering. It's paying attention to what we're giving. Heaven's keeping score because the Lord's gonna reward those of us who give humbly, generously, and discreetly. Does this make sense? If the people applaud you, that's the only reward you're gonna get. Now, the only true motive that should be used in our generosity is a love for God and a love for people. Scripture tells us that if you sell all of your possessions and you give to the poor, but you were not motivated by love for them, you did it all in vain. It was all empty. It was a waste of your time, energy, and resources. The motivation of our heart must be a love for God 
and a love for his people. May love be the motive behind why we do what we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but he who plants generously will also get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's amazing. Sadly, this verse has been preached horribly. And people have said these like late night TV preachers have been like, well, you know, if you sow a thousand dollar seed, God's going to give you a $10,000 return. If somebody ever says that in your presence, just say you are a wolf and I'm out. <laughs> a wolf is what the Bible calls a false teacher. <laughs> All right. If we ever start doing that in here, just walk out, which we will not because I will just tackle someone up here. We do not give with strings attached. We do not give like a Bernie Madoff uh, Ponzi scheme. We're not given to get. This is not how this works. No, the posture of our heart is a love for God. Lord, you've done so much for me. If you've never done another thing, I trust you with everything. My time, my treasure, my talent, my life, I give to you. If you return nothing to me, you're deserving of it all and it's all yours anyway. But scripture is clear that if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you plant two seeds in the field, come harvest time, you're going to be hungry because you only put two things in the ground. But if you sow generously, you will reap a generous return. What is God saying? He's not saying if you give 10, I'm going to give you 10,000. What he's saying is you can never outgive me. If you'll trust me with little I will respond with much. If you trust me with your resources, I will prove to you that I'm Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, your provider. By the way, somebody needs to hear this today. Your boss is not your source. Your degree is not your source. Your Fortune 500, that's not your source. The Lord God alone is your provider. It is in him that we live, move, and have our being. He is our provider. And scripture says, if I care for the sparrows, they don't even worry about where their next meal is going to come from. How much more will I care for you? May we trust God in every aspect of our life. I also want to draw your attention to the reality that God's economy is vastly different from ours. The woman gave two mites. Most historians agree that that equates to less than one cent. This woman gave one penny. She put it in the offering. The disciples, they were not impressed by that. But Jesus said something amazing. Jesus said, this poor widow outgave everyone in the temple that day. Did you read it? In fact, if you look at what Jesus said a little bit closer, he's not just saying that she outgave each individual donor. What he's saying is, this poor widow and her generosity, she outgave everybody in the temple combined. Now the disciples are hearing him say that and they're like, now Jesus, you do realize that she put two, like a, not even a penny in there. I saw somebody with a big bag, I, I'm not sure. What the Lord is showing you is that heaven's economy is vastly different than ours. God's not impressed by how much you give, he's impressed by the manner in which you give it. 
The difference between the wealthy people's offering and this poor widow was one of proportion. They gave a lot, yes they did, but they were also wealthy. And from their abundance, they gave a small portion of their net worth and fortune. But this widow gave everything. Although her gift was small in man's eyes, it was great in the lens of faith. In proportion to what she had, she gave it all. That's why Jesus said she outgave everybody in the temple that day combined. Again, it's an act of generosity, an act of faith. That's what moves God, not the amount in which we give. And there's another takeaway here. And it is that God never overlooks our life. God sees what man overlooks. The people in the temple that day considered this widow to be insignificant and not important, but by her faith and offering that those two mites, she caught the very attention of God Almighty. You might look around and say, well, all I have to give is, is a little bit. All I have to do, all that I have to offer is just a little bit of time. I want you to hear me today. Little is much when God is in it. And never discount being faithful and obedient to God in the small things and in the small places of your life. Because what man may overlook or consider insignificant gripped heaven's attention. God pays attention to the small things and details in our life. May we never grow weary in well-doing. And even in the small things, may we remain faithful. One of my favorite things about this text is this, and I pray you lean in. Many historians who've studied this text in Mark say that this very likely was an offering of alms, which means that it was an offering to be given to the poor. This was not to pay the light bill in the synagogue. This was to give to the poor, to those in need. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention here, but Jesus called this widow poor. And if Jesus says you're poor, you're poor. All right. The Bible doesn't even give this poor woman a name. It's just like the poor widow. I mean, she could have at least been Mary or Martha, something, right? It's supposed to be funny. Anyway, when the Bible calls you poor, you're poor. This is an offering for the poor. This woman could have said, well, hey, this offering's for me. I'm poor. Bless me. I'm here for what I can get. In fact, I'm entitled to it. It belongs to me because I am poor. I'm in need. But notice that is not the posture of her heart at all. This woman who rightfully needed an offering, this woman who could have been a victim, the woman who could have had a poverty mentality, the woman who could have felt entitled to the offering instead, she says, I have something that I can bring. And I have something that I can give. And I can give to alleviate the suffering of others. From her poverty, from her brokenness, she gave. My God, may we capture the heart of this widow. May our worship look like hers. And may we stop focusing on what we don't have. And may we focus on what God has given us. And I want to warn you today, many of us in her position, we would have been so focused on what we don't have. We would have said, God, I would give you more, but I only have two mites. And look at these people with the big bags rattling around. Like, look at their offering. Many of us today are focused on what we don't have and we're focused on what others have. And the result is we grow incontent, ungrateful, and greedy. 
Oh, but this widow, she wasn't focused on what she didn't have and she wasn't focused on what others had. She was just focused on what she did have. And I'm gonna tell you something amazing happens when you start to look at what God has given you instead of what you don't have. Her heart grew grateful, it grew content, and the result of that was generosity. Oh, I'm preaching to you today, church. I pray that you would look at your life and what God has put in your hand, and it may not seem like much in your eyes, but be faithful with what God has given you and be thankful in every season and in every circumstance. And be faithful with God even in the little things. The truth is we all have something to give. We all have a reason to praise and to worship him. I'm gonna give just a little side note I didn't give to the morning service. Do you remember the book of Job? Y'all remember Job? Not Job, Job. Okay, it's the oldest book chronologically in the Bible. It's 42 chapters of misery and suffering. Okay, if we're just being honest, all right? For 42 chapters, he and his friends meditate on what he doesn't have. For 42 chapters, they focus on his suffering and his pain and his unfortunate circumstance. But in the very last chapter of Job, something incredible happens. The Bible says that from his misery, Job began to pray for others. From his own brokenness, he lifted his eyes and he began to pray and intercede for the needs of others. And scripture says that as he prayed for others that were in need, God restored to him everything that the enemy had taken. There's a powerful spiritual dynamic that when we take our eyes off of our own limitations and circumstances and we begin to give and we begin to pray and we begin to put others' needs ahead of our own, God then replies and supplies our every need according to his riches and glory. We find contentment, we find peace, and we find his provision in that place. If you, if you decide to be the victim, God will let you stay there. But this woman who could have been said, no, no, I've got something that even I can bring. And her worship caught heaven's attention. Y'all see it today? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to ask you a question. Do you have money or does money have you? And there's a big difference. You know, some churches preach that it's a sin to be wealthy. You know, you need to take a vow of poverty. Stop it. Even the poorest in America are wealthy compared to the rest of the globe. All right, so that's not, that's not the gospel message, okay? But there's a difference between having nice things and nice things having you. Big difference, all right? In fact, look at the Bible. Abraham, Joseph, Job, Solomon, David, all of them were wealthy, way richer than you and me combined. <laughs> Solomon was a billionaire with a B before there was Elon and Jeff Bezos. He was the original B billionaire, all right? <laughs> don't take that, don't quote that, please. <laughs> Hope my wife's not watching this. She'd be like, don't say that again. It just came out. Anyway. <laughs> Look, these men were wealthy beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations, yet they still were considered righteous by faith. They were not condemned for what they had because having nice things is not a sin, but it is a sin when nice things have you. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This scripture is often misquoted. People say money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. When money becomes illustrious, when money and the pursuit of more captivates you and you meditate on it and you scheme and devise ways to just get more, 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 let me help you. Um, greed begets greed. And the more you get, the more you'll want and you'll never be satisfied because it's like chasing the wind. It's empty. If money is what you love, scripture warns you are in danger of wandering and drifting from the true faith. You can serve only one master. Amen. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And either God is your master or money is. Yeah. Not, you can't have it both ways. People that have money and money doesn't have them, they're able to be generous. They're able to give. They're able to suffer loss and it doesn't ruin their life because they realize that money is just, it's a monetary thing. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Hebrews 13, five says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And by the way, scripture tells us very clearly that all that we have belongs to him anyway. Newsflash, you were born with nothing. You say, well, my parents were rich. Yeah, but you were broke. You were born with nothing and you will die with nothing. You can't take it with you. You know why? Because it's not really yours. We are not owners, we're stewards. Think back to the parable of the talents. When the master going away for business, he gave one servant five talents, one servant two, and another he gave one. Everything that the servants possessed ultimately belonged to their master. It's a picture of God Almighty in creation. What you hold in your hand, it's not yours, it's his. It all belongs to him. And so how will you use the resources that God has put in your hand? And how do you use your time? And how do you use your treasure? Does it say that God is first? Does it say that God is most high? Or does your money and your time say that there's another idol in your life that you love even more? Scripture says, what would it profit a man if he gained the entire world, but he lost his soul? That scripture is saying a couple things really powerfully. Number one, in your pursuit of money, in your pursuit of more, the world may very well cost you your soul. But it's also saying something else. It's saying that one human being, even the least influential person in the world, is more valuable to God than all of the wealth, silver and gold combined. The person that is the least significant, least influential in your life, that person matters more to God than all of the material possessions on earth combined. One soul is more valuable than everything in the world together. I pray that we believe that because that should change the way we treat our employees. 
That should change the way we treat our children and we treat our parents and we treat our coworkers and our neighbors. If we really believe that one life is more valuable than everything in the world, may we love them. May we serve them. May we honor them. May we stop with the envy, jealousy, fighting, backstabbing, hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness. May we truly believe that human beings are the most valuable thing on this earth. Almost done today. The widow gave sacrificially. The value of her gift was determined by the cost that she paid for it. People often say things like, well, I'd be more generous if I had more money. And I know that you have never thought that, but you have thought that, okay? Every person being honest has thought to themselves at some point, well, if I had more time, I'd serve. If I had more money, I'd give. But I want to tell you something. No, you wouldn't. I'm hurting everybody's feelings today. No, you wouldn't. You say, I've had people say, well, you know, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give to Vision Church. No, you wouldn't because you don't give now. Oh, <laughs> oh did he say, hey, and just for the record, I said it, just for the record, I don't even look at who gives and how much. You know why? Because I don't want to let my flesh treat anybody any different. All right. I want to treat people right no matter what they, whether you give, whether you don't, whether whatever. I want to treat people right in this church. But I want you to, dis, I want to dispel the lie that, oh, when I get more, I'll give more. No, you won't. Come on. What if the woman, the widow had had that philosophy? Well, you know, Lord, if I had four mites, I'd give one. On. If, if that had been her mindset, we wouldn't be talking about her today. That's right. This is 2000 years later and we're still celebrating her generosity. Why? Because she didn't wait till she had more. She gave from her sacrifice. She gave sacrificially. The truth is what you do with little is what you'll do with more. People think money changes people. No, it doesn't. It just exposes who you've been all along. Oh, you say, well, they, once they got money, they were mean and cruel and selfish. No, they really were all that way the whole time. You just didn't know it. <laughs> hey, good morning to you. So... Money doesn't change you, it exposes you. And the truth is, all of us, our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. That's why we must repent and turn to Christ. There's nothing good in us, in and of ourselves. We're all selfish and innately consumed with our own comfort and pleasure. May God have mercy. That's why we must be born again. His spirit breathed new life into this heart of stone, giving us a new future, a new perspective, a new outlook on life. We need Jesus. Amen. If you want more money and you want more time, you must steward well what little you have right now. Amen. The parable of the talents, the master gave more to those who were faithful with little. You're praying for God to bless you financially, but God is waiting for you to be a good steward of what you have right now. God's waiting for you to create a budget right now so that you spend less than you make, so you pay your bills on time. Yes, I'm preaching today. As a Christian, we should be good stewards of our resources, and if we will be faithful with little, God will bless you with more. Your boss doesn't hold the key to your provision. God Almighty does. It's a spiritual perspective and a new outlook on life. And in closing this morning, God asks us to give 
because the act of giving makes us more like him. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all of the Bible, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Think of that again. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a generous God. And the act of giving strips us of self and it makes us more like him. I wanna remind you this Sunday morning that God himself gave the ultimate sacrifice, the greatest sacrificial offering that has ever been made or ever will be made was offered 2000 years ago on Calvary's cross. God Almighty loves you so much that he did not purchase our souls with mere gold and silver. Something far greater, more dear, more valuable was spilled for our redemption on the hills of Calvary and that is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, there is one way to heaven. There's one way to the Father. It is through Jesus Christ alone. You will not make it to heaven because you're a good person. There is nothing good in us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, unless you be born again, you'll never see the kingdom. How am I born again? You admit your sinfulness and repent of it. You believe wholly on the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, that he was sinless, he died, he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave. And thirdly, you confess him as the Lord of your life. Scripture tells us that all who are born again, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to be called the sons of God. This morning, every one of you in this room, in Overflow and online, you all fall in one of two categories. You are either God's son or you are God's enemy. There's no gray area about it. You are either for him or you're against him. Your life either brings him glory or it detracts from his purpose. Where are you today? Life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. You don't have, you don't know when your last heartbeat will be. So make things right with God today, right now. I wanna encourage you to pray with me all over this place right now. If you're not right with God, I want you to pray with me right now and mean it from your heart. Lord, I repent of my sin. I admit that I've been selfish. I've been full of lust, pride, and greed. I've loved this world more than its creator. And today I repent and I turn to you. I believe that you sent your son who was sinless, perfect. He opened the blind eyes. He caused the deaf to hear, the blind to see, and the lame to walk. He took my place on Calvary's cross. He was innocent, yet he took on my punishment. The wrath of God was satisfied in his life. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And in him, the power of sin is broken. In him, I have new life and can be set free. Today, I repent and I believe and I confess you, Lord, as my Savior. Change my heart, oh God. May I love what you love and despise what you despise. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com 
or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.